Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code TAS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code TAS at liquidiv.com. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Podcast, episode 43. I'm Chris Webster. And I'm April Camp Whitaker. On today's show, we're going to be talking about historic videos and photography and how this helps us understand and visualize the past. Let's dig a little deeper. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome, April. How's it going? It's going pretty well. It's starting to get hot here. Yeah, well, you live in Arizona. I'm surprised it wasn't starting to get hot there like in April or March. <laughs> well, it, it, like it did, but then there's hot and then there's hot. Yeah. Phoenix true hot. Story. So. True story. Yeah, it's a whole different world. Right, and I hear uh, I hear the babies are active in the background when we were setting this up. Yes, my mother-in-law is in town. She's amazing, and she is watching them, and they are giving her lots of fun, nice. as babies do. Nice. Well, uh, you know, parenting and heat and all those things that we deal with these days, um, I, I feel like a lot has changed, and yet not a lot has changed from, you know, say, 110 years ago, which is kind of what we're talking about on this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you like that segue? Good. Um, that was a, that was an impressive segue. I know. Are you going to talk about sleeping porches? Uh no, but you can feel feel free to talk about sleeping porches. Yes, because you're the. I mean, this is kind of. I, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot because we didn't talk about this, but this is kind of more your bag because you're more of a historical focused archaeologist, you know. Rather, whereas I, just by luck of the draw, have tended to focus more on pre prehistoric stuff. Uh, that being said, what we're talking about here, and and I highly encourage you to go check this out, honestly, before you listen to the rest of this podcast. But you know, you're not going to lose anything by listening to us talk. But go look at the links for the show notes over at arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology forward slash 43. And you will find a link to a video that's, I think, eight and a half minutes long. And it's just some con- some company in Sweden, I think, was contacted to uh, contracted in 1911 to just film everyday life in New York City. And they've got, you know, it starts out with people coming in on a boat, of course, uh, with the Statue of Liberty, kind of ends that way too. And uh, people coming off the boat and people meeting people coming off the boat and then, you know, like carriages coming off. And then there's just random scenes of around New York City, you know, all outside, all outdoors and and people just living their lives and doing their thing. And I thought um, as I watched that, that it would be really fun to just kind of comment on that video and how things are different and how things are, you know, really haven't changed. And, and maybe that's just a factor of the fact that it's New York City. I don't know, but maybe it's a commentary on, on existence in general. Who knows? But uh, April, what were your first impressions when you, when you saw this video? Well, I mean, I, I go somewhere slightly different. I thought it was amazing. And I love seeing imagery like this because it's actually part of why I got into doing historical archaeology mm-hmm. because we have videos and we have pictures and they're I mean it's another type of artifact right mm-hmm. so as an archaeologist it's a whole new thing to analyze and think about and use to interpret what we see and interpret the past um, so I that's kind of I immediately started thinking of it not just as like oh wow this is amazing but as the tool aspects of it um, so there'll be some other links on the page show notes for this that are like where my w- mind went, which is kind of fun too, because I <laughs> saw where Chris's mind went and I saw where my mind went. So this will be kind of a fun show because you'll kind of see the two sides of our minds uh, coming together to make one show. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, I, I, I want to comment 
before we really get into New York City and basically city life, you know, this was filmed in 1911. And a lot of the stuff that we record from a historical standpoint here in Nevada really, I mean, there's obviously stuff that's pre-1900s, but there's not a lot of it. And, and, and in some of those areas, it's already... I guess kind of developed or, or you know or or completely lost to history. One of the two things, like Virginia City near Reno here. I mean, that's from the uh, mid mid to late eighteen hundreds, and that's still a city that people live in. You know, tourists go to, and it hasn't mm-hmm. changed much in a, in over a hundred years. But with that being said, when you go out into Nevada and you record some of these old mining complexes, you got stuff from nineteen oh five was a was a big boom in Nevada, and then various times throughout the following decades uh, as booms and busts happened and and different things were discovered and things like that. But I just think, you know, we're sitting out in the middle of Nevada and we're looking at these tin cans and we're going, man, these guys were, you know, rugged and rustic and, and look at this and they just had these couple cans and that was their lunch and blah, blah, blah. And we're making these interpretations. And then I say New York City in 1911 and they're all fancy dressed and you know there's there's cars there's horses and buggies there's fancy cars there's there's you know buildings and skyscrapers and bridges and we just we tend to forget that the world is technologically advanced at different rates uh around around the world you know and and where people are and what they're doing and nothing that hasn't changed from today i mean there's still tribes out there that are you know living the way they have for thousands of years and uh, and there's still people living, you know, like it's 1970. We call it Canada. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's weird how we interpret this stuff. And then, I mean, even like where you work, where you're going back to this summer, you're going out to Amache. I mean, how does, I mean, and that's the 40s, you know, how does that compare with 1911 New York City? It's kind of interesting because in terms of urban density, like if you think about sheer numbers of people per space like per mm-hmm. mile amachi has an urban density that's pretty similar to like today's minneapolis wow so there's a lot of people and it really you know it probably felt in a weird way like a city mm-hmm. there were people everywhere and noise and movement yeah but i mean it's also very different because there weren't cars and skyscrapers and mm-hmm. In some ways, I mean, one of the things that you were talking about, I think a little bit about with kind of Western settlement and the expansion that happens, especially early on, which is almost like a time lag, right? So I did a lot of work in Iowa doing stuff with 18 kind of early Iowan settlement. And what you realize is especially women are coming there and they're coming from the East Coast and they're leaving behind, you know, gorgeous cast iron wood burning stoves and the latest and greatest technologies. And they're going back to using fireplaces and open pit fires. And it's essentially as if we went back and we're trying to live in the 1920s. And losing our iPhones and having a rotary phone where there's like six numbers. Right. And our phone number is 72. You know, like <laughs> that's that's essentially what's happening when you have this Western expansion is technology lags, you know, by about a generation or more. Uh, and I think Machi is a little bit like that maybe in that, you know, it's a it's certain things just aren't available, certain amenities, and you're being expected to live in really rough and rugged conditions that you're not used to. No, no. And speaking of getting used to things, that's that's one of the comments I made in a lot of stuff about the New York City video is, you know, people people were king in New York City in, in 1911 and before that. You know what I mean? Like as far as the streets go. And that's one of the big takeaways I took because all this is outside. Everything is outside. And while cars are starting to become a thing um, and there's different types of cars, you know, you saw some like kind of truck-ish looking things and then the, the typical convertible. I don't even know if it's convertible. I don't even know if it had a top, but the old cars, you know, like little roadster looking cars, things like that. But then lots of horses and buggies and things like that. But in all cases, it was more people on the streets than there were vehicles. And they were just used to having people on the streets and people all around, but they were not used to cars and horses and buggies. And one of the things that looked like to me was that they just honestly didn't care. Like, they're like, listen, I'm here and you're going to go around me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all there is to it. I was here first. I was here 20 years ago. You were not. Get out of my way, car. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, they were clearly set up for... I don't know if it was set up for cars. I don't know when they paved the streets in New York, but all the streets that I saw in that video were paved. 
And um, and I don't know if that was from a health and sanitation standpoint. If you know what came first, the pavement or the car, I'm not really sure. But when the streets are paved, that obviously allows for more, you know, landscape stability and and less dirtiness in the streets and things like that. I get that. So I don't know. I don't know what came first, to, you know, paving or cars. But either way, the people they just did everything in the streets. Everything. I mean, just walking across. There's no crosswalks. There's no stop signs there's no anything like that they're just walking all over the place it was that was really struck me as crazy and odd but i I don't know was there anything that that really stood out uh for you april in that film i'm trying to think i mean i just love looking at the things that people are wearing and thinking about how that compares to the way we dress today yeah and how different bodies begin to look i mean especially if you think about things like women's bodies Mm -hmm. um you know, I go to campus and the way that we can present ourselves physically in very short shorts or little tank tops, um, you know, the trend is back to not necessarily wear really structuring bras. Yeah. But in 1911, you know, the woman's body was very controlled. You wore corsets. You wore garters. You wore like six layers of undergarment. Mm-hmm. And... It creates such a different silhouette and such a different movement for people. I mean, and the same for men in many ways. Yeah. Uh, You know, like there weren't shorts and T-shirts. And, you know, every guy who's ever worn a suit knows that your your movement ability, (laughs) even in a suit, really changes. Yeah. Because of how it's structured and tailored. and So that's something I think about a lot, partly because I just I love clothing and historic clothing. Mm hmm. Um, but, you know, just thinking about how much just the act of donning a garment changes your engagement with the physical environment, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do you na- navigate a street when you have skirts? How do you, um, yeah, just sort of approach the world, those little things and how they affect our understanding and approach of the world. So, Yeah, that was something I noted as well was the clothing. And it seems like society in general dictated what people were going to wear. And it was fairly rigidly defined, um, not like it is today where you can see any number of styles of dress no matter where you go. Uh, I Just as a, a side note, Rachel and I had, my wife and I had, um, um, we had season tickets to the Broadway shows here in Reno for the year. And the first one we went to, I mean, I honestly, I had never been to a, a musical or Broadway show before anywhere. Like I'd never been to one. And so the first one we went to, I can't even remember what the show was, but we, uh, I, we dressed up. We dressed up nicely. You know, I wore a suit, and and she dressed up nice. Not a single show following that did we actually do that because this is Reno, <laughs> and people were there in jeans. I mean, they weren't like you know shorts or anything, but people were there just like like they just walked off the farm and decided to go see a Broadway show. You know, nobody was dressed in like like I thought we were going to be underdressed. I expected maybe I've seen Frasier too many times, but I expected to see people in like you know, tuxedos in some cases. Um, And I don't know why I thought that, but that was my perception of what the dress was going to be like. And so I was like, well, let's go middle of the road and I'll wear a suit. And she wore a nice dress. And, uh, and, but there was, it was just all over the, across the board. But back in 1911, you would have worn probably your best clothing to go to the show like that, to go to a theater like that, to go to a show. And, you know, like you said, April, the women were very strictly dressed in that video, you know, wearing very certain, very particular things, very, diff- very, very definite style. But so were the men. And you could tell the men from 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 men who looked like they were, you know, wealthy and well to do all the way down to um, people who maybe weren't so well off and and children and boys. They're all wearing some kind of suit, some kind of multi-part suit that you know, was in various states of, you know, repair and, and refinement, I guess, but still a suit, you know? So you basically had nice dresses mm-hmm. and you had suits. That's it. And everybody wore a hat. Didn't matter who you were. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think it was captured exceptionally well in these this video, but one of the things that there've been really, there's a really interesting project on, maybe I'll, I'll try to find the links for this because, mm-hmm. you know, we're good people and we like to have show notes. Um, but there were some really interesting projects a while ago that was looking that were looking at photographs of people coming from Ellis Island mm-hmm. and the huge range of cultural and regional clothing mm. um, and how much, you know, ethnic identity is marked in clothing during that time period. Right. Distinctive headwears, you know, distinctive styles and types of clothes. And New York is this entry gateway 
during a time of pretty heavy immigration. And so I think one of the things that you would have seen in New York is just this this huge variety of people mm-hmm. and costuming. Not really, I mean, not as costuming, but clothing yeah. um, that speaks to this, speaks to this diversity. Um, then in some ways, maybe kind of the mass production of things currently has mm-hmm. eliminated some of. I mean, we still have a lot of identity expression that we do through our wardrobes. But although there's greater variety in many ways now because of mass production and kind of global commerce, there's also in some ways less diversity because you're not designing and making these things. And I think we have less of this expression of sort of regional and cultural identities mm-hmm. through our clothing. Yeah, uh, and and that's true. And, you know, I wonder... I wonder if because I I wasn't I I want to go back through and watch this video and see if I can't pick out the differences in the clothing um, because I guess that I guess once I noticed the kind of sameness of it that's what I was focusing on but then to go back and look at the differences like you're saying from the cultural mm-hmm. differences because I'm wondering you know with New York being at that time and kind of still now like the hub and height of you know culture and um, and technology and everything for the world. Like New York at that time was seen as the place to be for that kind of stuff. And it makes me wonder, like, how soon after getting off the boat at Ellis Island did people try to conform? Because they didn't want to look different, you know, because they wanted oh, to fit good. in. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, um, just so many uh, so many different things uh, in that video. I just can't get over the hats, like all the hats. Nobody was not wearing a hat. Kids, adults, women, everyone was wearing a hat. Was their hair just not clean? I mean, what was the deal? <laughs> I think it was cultural norms again and ideas yeah. about, you know, appropriate dress and head coverings. And yeah. So are you going to start a trend? Are we going to start seeing you with beautiful hats from now on? Because I'm, I'm going to vote for this. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's still a it's still a thing in some areas. Of course, um as we're recording this, the uh royal wedding between somebody and somebody else happened a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. And one of the things that I saw come across my news feeds a lot was just this massive discussion about the hats the women were wearing. Not the men. Some of the men were in like military uniforms, but other men they were not apparently required socially to wear hats anymore, but the women in one article I read, like the royal women are required to wear a hat with their dress, with their whatever they're wearing. And God, it's 2018. I'm like, come on, British royal family, seriously? But uh, yeah, anyway, it's just a uniform. We've all had uniforms throughout history, whether it's a social uniform or military uniform or a work uniform. You know, we all we all have things that society says that we should wear. I'm glad we're, you know, we've been getting away from that in the last few decades and Nowadays, there's still fashion, of course, but it seems to be a lot more broadly defined. So, unless you're in the field uh, for an archaeologist, then you have to wear, you know, tan and a whip and a hat. So, it, woman or man, it doesn't matter because yeah, even you know, I, even, even Laura Croft and Tomb Raider dress that way. It's true. I have a wardrobe <laughs> for the field that's entirely tan. That's right. All the shades of tan. Fifty shades of tan. Yeah. That's what. That's what you have. Although, you know, you have to use gentle whips now because, you know. <laughs> I know. Current I know. standards of I know. treatment. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. All right. Well, we're going to keep talking about some of this stuff and some of the <laughs> other links that um, that uh, that April mentioned uh, before when we come back from the break. Back in a second. Hey, everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, (laughs) we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market 
market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. This network is listener supported. We're trying to move away from paid advertising while also creating new shows and supporting the ones we have. The APN has never and will never make a serious profit on our podcast. Every little dime we make goes back into the network and improving show quality. So become a member today at www.arcpodnet.com slash members to show your support, get some extras, and be a benefactor for archaeological education. Members get stickers, a coffee mug, a t-shirt, bonus content, early access to episodes, a private Slack team to talk to other members and the hosts, and full access to training on Team Black over at arccert.black. So check out our memberships at www.arcpodnet.com slash members today and support archaeological education. That's www.arcpodnet.com slash members. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 43. And we are talking about a video that was filmed in 1911 of New York City and just a general video of what life was like. It's not a documentary or anything. It's just just straight video. There's no audio. I, the video link that we have, there's like some music attached to it, but it's not original. There's no audio. So um, that's what we're talking about. If you haven't seen the video, go check it out. It's about eight minutes long. And uh, really, I kind of focus on the, the middle portions where there's all the people. Um, there's just some skyline portions, which would be interesting to somebody interested in like architectural history, probably. But, uh, you know, what we're talking about is is really the people. So um Continuing on that theme, uh, one one thing I noticed about the people was that almost everybody, when they saw the camera, they just stared straight into it. Like they probably didn't even know what it was, quite frankly, but they just stared straight into the camera. And even at one point, there was a kid who was, he looked like he was crossing the street and then he turned around and just kind of stood there. And then once he kind of dawned on him what was going on, he almost started kind of posing for it a little bit and just kind of like doing stuff like kids would, right? <laughs> like yeah. kids in 1911 are no, no different than kids in 2018. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was one thing I noticed that everybody, it, you know, as a new technology, this whole filming thing, I mean, people have had cameras for a while at that point, but like still cameras. But as far as a video camera, I don't even know what the rig looked like that shot this video, but it was probably massive and uh, and very obvious. And I don't know how they powered it. I think it was that manual kind of cranking power um, because the speed is always off a little bit. But uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, it was it was just really interesting to me how everybody just kind of stared into the camera and didn't seem to care. They didn't seem to think it was rude, probably because they didn't know what it was, you know, but they just stared right into it and kept on going. And I feel like if you were to pull out a video camera of your phone in New York City today, you'll get the exact same thing and somebody might actually smash it into your face. I don't know. Any other uh, little, you know, little things you may have picked out in that video, April? I mean, I... I love things like that because of the material culture, right? So Mm -hmm. as a historic archaeologist, we were always looking and seeing all of these material objects. So it's really nice to see them in use Um, Mm -hmm. and what they look like when they were in use, how people are using them, um, and then things like, you know, modifications or uses you might not think of for something. Um, So I spend a lot of time looking at historic photos um, and videos as part of the research that I do. And I love Mm -hmm. them. And they're absolutely amazing because a lot of times we find artifacts and you assume a use, right? Like if you find a wash basin, you assume it's being used to wash things. Like that's (laughs) the intended purpose and that's how it's marketed. And we as archaeologists sort of make these base assumptions but then you see a historic photograph and, you know, it's been modified and it's got plants growing in it or it's been modified and it's actually turned upside down and it's being used as a table. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's all of these alternative uses that we don't necessarily think of that can really change the interpretation of a site. And so things like videos and photographs are just amazing resources for seeing what some of those are. 
and starting yeah. to think about them um, or even identifying artifacts, right? Like those mystery things that you just have mm-hmm. no clue. Sometimes seeing someone using or doing something, it's like, oh, that's what that silly thing is. <laughs> oh. Um, the mystery I mean, artifact. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always looking at kind of what the actions of people, what are they touching? What are they using? What are they interacting with? That's a really good point. I, I did notice one like baby stroller kind of thing. And I, I don't know, when I think of 1911, I think of like the baby carriage kind of deal, like mm-hmm. the baby's laying down in the carriage with like the thing. But no, this was just like a stroller. Like, it, I mean, if yeah. I hadn't, if I if we'd had a closer look at it, you could tell that it was probably older, but it honestly, from a distance, it looked like a stroller that people would use today. Maybe not one of those big crazy ones with the jogging wheels on it, but like a regular, <laughs> you know, push stroller that, that a lot of people have. Um, didn't look any different, but you know, how much is that technology really going to change? Honestly, it's going to be made with better, safer materials probably, but functionally it just has to hold a kid. So, you know, yeah. I I can do a whole rant about that. (laughs) I was going to say, you probably have a lot of thoughts on that subject. And speaking of material culture too, one thing I noticed, and maybe this is a function of where they shot the video, somebody who's more of a New York aficionado might notice like that they were shooting in, you know, high tourist areas or affluent areas or something like that. But I, I didn't notice hardly any trash in the streets and I was looking, you Mm. know, like just like, I don't know why I would expect to see garbage in the streets. I mean, people still don't want to live in their own filth, but, um, for some reason, when you think about the past, you think, Oh, it was dirtier back then. And it was just, people just didn't have proper sanitation, but this is New York city. You know, they had to invent sanitation that no one else had ever seen in order to just live in that city. So I guess it makes sense that even in 1911, it was really clean, like really clean, uh, so shockingly clean from the video. So uh, again, might just been a factor of where they were shooting, but I don't really know. So not really good for us future archaeologists, is it? Like no material culture, it's all in a landfill. You don't you don't like it when people clean everything up for you? I know, right? You see these desert like cleanup programs, like clean up on the highway, and I'm like, man, how are we going to tell what the hell was here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only way I could tell when this highway was in use is by the trash on the side of it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the things we look for. Only archaeologists would support littering. I know. I know. We actually kind of do. It's but really only sad. tasteful littering, right? Like things that are going to last for a while, not, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And things with dates on them, like copyright oh, yeah. dates and things like that. Done. That's really great. Yeah, yeah. So... What what else you got? What else you got from this video? Have we, have we played this thing out? I don't know. I I, I mean, I I could be ready to tangent away, and we could always like dodge back to it. Little creative dance. We could. We could. Um. I I want to bring up one last thing before we do leave that I'm just noticing in my notes here. Uh, one of the things that was crazy with all the people, uh, were in some of the images. I don't even know if it was a street or whatever. They just had the camera just kind of slowly panning. And there were just people walking in all directions, like not down a sidewalk like you see in some movies, like a shot in New York City, people walking down a sidewalk. And two things I got to say about that. One, you you typically see movies that have images like that from New York City now because people are penned into the sidewalk. They're no longer allowed to just walk in the streets and not get killed immediately. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, they have to pen the same population, if not way more, into just little sidewalks now, whereas back in 1911, people were all over the place. You know, they ruled the streets until cars became more prevalent and then would actually kill you. So, you know, one thing I noticed was people just walking in all directions, but also people just not even, it didn't even look like they were really saying excuse me or really concerned at the fact that they just walked in front of somebody. It was just the way that it was done. It was like people were so comfortable being around so many people. It's just this mission. It's almost like like you imagine self-driving cars at a busy intersection. It's just this crazy, how are they not crashing kind of thing and people just going all through and not really acknowledging each other as human beings. Just like I'm just going right in front of you and I'm on about my business and I don't care and you don't care. And that's how we're doing it. That's just one of the things I noticed in, in just a very short section of that video. It was very interesting to me. I feel like it's kind of that way now, probably in big cities, you know, there's very little, unless you're in a tourist area where people are like, oh, you know, not familiar with the cultural norms of just, I'm just going to walk in front of you and not care about it. Um, you know, New York on a Saturday afternoon is probably a lot different than New York on a Monday morning. Uh, people are going to work, but anyway, I think, uh, I think that's one of the, 
one of the last big things I wanted to bring up. No, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, you know, yeah. just those changes, those really fascinating structural changes that happen mm-hmm. over time with yeah. kind of changings of technology and populations and just expectations for what's allowed and what is not allowed. I mean, and how do you really take those things into account as an archaeologist? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the things we struggle with is recreating these past dynamics and landscapes because, you know, we, we use the present often to calibrate the past, I think, mm-hmm. especially the historical past. And so things like these videos and photographs, I mean, that's just, it's so neat to see them and use them and be <laughs> able to create these reference points that aren't... Yeah the present that really are the actual or a vision a viewpoint on the the historical past i mean obviously this one eight minute video doesn't really capture the whole reality but it can give (laughs) us like a touchstone of what this reality for people may or may not have actually been like which i think is Mm -hmm. i mean that's something we don't get a chance to do very often right and what makes historical archaeology so amazing Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But actually, when you when you posted this video and pitched this fabulous idea to me, one of the first places I went was all the re-photography that's been happening. So I'm sure you've seen this on your Facebook and all these other places where people post photos of historic scenes or of contemporary scenes, and then there's historic images sort of like transpar- ghostly or transparently layered on top of it. So it'll be like the modern street scene with like historic cars driving down it and people. Um, I think one of the first ones I saw was the World War II photography in France where Mm -hmm. it's modern French street scenes, but then they've got these like overlays of what it looked like during and after World War II. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, I mean, that was one of the places that I went to when you showed, when you kind of started talking about these videos, it's just the ability for us to start doing that i mean that's i think that's really a great visual tool to teach people about the past like all of these new digital and resources that we have you know we're digitizing all this stuff and it's not locked up in archives and we're finding Mm -hmm. new ways to make it accessible to people so that's one of the things i've been thinking about a lot with this is the resource that has suddenly become available to us through technology to share the past in a much more interactive way Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of how archaeology can start to fit into that and leverage this. Yeah, I, I think one of the first, I know yours is uh, one of the first re-photography things you saw was, you know, like you said, World War II. But I'm pretty sure one of the first ones I saw was like a an old woman holding her half-naked son in a diaper who's like 50 now <laughs> recreating a picture from their, their kids because <laughs> that's also popular on facebook <laughs> oh my gosh that is yes i but, think let's not think about that style because <laughs> you know that's um that's a different yeah. approach uh we're not saying it's not a valid way of recreating <laughs> the past Oh man. Although it is interesting. It's still interesting from a historical standpoint, like how they can, you know, even recreating a photo from the 20 years ago might be difficult from just from clothing and and environment. So, um, but yeah, you're totally right. I I've thought heavily about, um, and I didn't even think of it as the re-photography, um, trend, but you're exactly right. Using those images and then really creating, once we are able to really create like a virtual environment from an aggregate of images from the past, you know, and, and, and as, as two technologies are starting to sort of collide with us right now, one of those is augmented reality where most of our, most of your high end phones these days. So, so like the latest phones can do augmented reality really well, which means a layered on uh, something layered on top of your current reality. So whether it's, you know, some creature sitting on your desk or an entire different landscape, uh, that's that you can see and move around in through the lens of your phone or tablet or something like that. And then once that, be, once the the whole glasses concept, which I think we're still really on the way to, just being, could you imagine being able to walk around 1911 New York or you know 1850 Paris, and instead of seeing what you're seeing, you're seeing the past overlaid right on top of your vision. And you're walking through that past. I mean, we're all probably going to die and get hit by something. So we need we need self-driving cars to be more self-aware and not hit us while we're doing that. <laughs> but 
because um, that self-driving Tesla is going to look like a horse and carriage to us as we're, you know, as we're as we're driving through there or walking through there. But either way, just being able to see any time in the past overlaid on your current vision, I think would be just be amazing. You know, I mean, just totally amazing. And some places are starting to do that. I mean, a lot of museums and cultural institutions um, and some even like municipalities or cities have started to think of ways they can kind of combine GIS and uh, and their archives and their historic photos and do things so that, you know, they are creating apps that Mm -hmm. trigger different images based on where you, the viewer, are. Right. Um, so you can enable this and be moving through the contemporary landscape or the modern landscape and then see these historic images or see places where you can tap and see historic images. Um, or, you know, some places have done signage that sort of are like big plexis that have the historic image on them and you can look through it and it kind of lines it up over, you know, contemporary building or current buildings and um, so I think mm-hmm. people are really starting to embrace this and play with it and see all of the potential. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, I, I'm, there, one of the links that I threw up is for a map in England. It's London. And they've done this. They've created this really in-depth map where you can sort of zoom around different parts of London and click locations and see all of these historic photographs. And so they've spent, I think they Mm -hmm. said two years digitizing all of these images, getting them geo-referenced and embedded in this map. Um, Nice. Which I think, you know, what an amazing resource that we're starting to build. And I think this is an interesting moment too for us as, for people and for archaeologists because for a long time, all these things were kind of locked up, right? Like, I mean, you've done mm-hmm. CRM, you've gone to the Shippo's office or the Tippo's office and dug through, you know, all of these maps yep. and everything's in paper. And you've gone to the state libraries and looked through their archives and used microfilm and like, <laughs> you know, things lock are locked in those forms in a way, right? They're really only yeah. accessible to a few people. You have to have specialized knowledge. And all of a sudden we're digitizing all this stuff and it's out there and it's really, really available, which I think is making our job easier in a way, easier and harder. Yeah. Um, because we can access this stuff, right? Like you can be working an archaeological site and you can go online and start looking and finding pieces of these resources to start interpreting the site almost in real time. No, I mean, that's totally right. And, uh, it's it's just um it's interesting to me how much information we have yet how much information we don't have because you know photography only goes back so far and honestly when people started taking photographs and and using that new technology they were taking photographs of really probably famous things you know not just everyday life because you didn't have the you couldn't afford the luxury of wasting the film and the time on everyday life. I mean, some people were, I'm sure, because that was fascinating to them, but not a lot of people were. So a lot of your older stuff is the big famous landmarks and and things like that. So I don't know. I've, I've got a lot. I know you'd probably do too, but I've got a lot more to say on this as well. Let's take a break real quick, and then we'll come back and wrap up this discussion about uh, really historical photography and video and, and uh, parallels to today and, and what we can learn from it. So... Back in a second to wrap the show up. Hey, podcast fans and digital archaeologists. Have you heard about WildNote? It's a data collection app that works online or offline on your smartphone or tablet, iOS or Android. It allows you to collect field data easily, manage data efficiently, and generate data reports and site records effortlessly. We have a growing list of state site forms built in for your use and some generic forms that will work anywhere. Check out the shovel testing and photograph forms. You can get a free all-access 30-day trial today by going to wildnoteapp.com. That's wildnoteapp.com for your free 30-day trial. Are you tired of the webinars and training offered by the big organizations not being free for members and not really covering what we need? Team Black has the answers. Check out arccert.black forward slash main for our upcoming webinar schedule. All of our webinars happen once a month and seating is limited. 
Learn everything from field tech basics to drones to digital workflows. We have more classes coming online every month. Classes are always one hour and cost just $20. Classes like building a CV and getting a job are always free. That's right. We'll help you get a job, then we'll be here when you want to level up your skills. If you are a professional subscriber to the APN at arcpodnet.com slash members, then you get all of Team Black's offerings for free as part of your membership. We have Team Black memberships coming that will give the same for the APN. So $20 a month gets you all the APN swag and extras plus free training from Team Black. So check out arccert.black for more information and level up your skill set today. That's arccert.black. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the final segment of the Archaeology Show, episode 43. And we're talking about, um, you know, 1911 New York film that's in the show notes. Go check that out. Plus also uh, another link on re-photography that April put in there and a really cool map from London with a lot of geo-reference maps and things like that. And that's what we were talking about when we ended the last segment. And I, I really started to get into something here. And I want to, you know, talk to you, April, about it and see what we think about this. You know, a lot of these re-photography efforts and these historical video and photography efforts, I mean, they're all based on at the oldest things that we have for that medium. And, you know, when you're talking about film, you might have something from the late 1800s, but, you know, honestly, probably not, not much. And then when you're talking about photography, we go back to what, mid, maybe early 1800s. I'm not even sure when photography really started, but, uh, you know, and then of course we have paintings and things, but paintings, the problem with paintings is, there's always some interpretation going on and there's always some bias going on, you know, with a painting. But when you have photography, you have an, an, well, from back then anyway, you have an accurate representation of, of what was going on at that very specific time and place. And I, I just wanted to point out the importance of archeology span in this whole, in this whole endeavor, because we can only go back. So we can only recreate the world back so far with photography and video. After that, it's all archaeology. And archaeology based on historical accounts, based on excavations, based on artifacts, based on features and and things that we know. And man, does it get sketchy <laughs> at that point, you know, because it's all interpretation yeah. as well. <laughs> I think this these things on all this new digital technology, they're tools. They obviously can never really replace mm-hmm. what we do, but they're, you know, they're just more and more powerful tools that are becoming available to us to sort of help us in the work that we already do. I mean, that's one of the fun things about archaeology is it it kind of always gives us this opportunity to challenge understandings so we can look at these photos and be like, oh, this is what the world was like. But then when we actually look at the archaeology, it gives us a different and alternative picture or sometimes it's a picture that supports Mm -hmm. it or, yeah. You know, once you do the archaeology, you discover that those clean looking streets, man, they were not so clean. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, the other thing we got to think about, like I mentioned in the first segment, you know, you look at uh, 1911 New York and then I look at a 1911 mining site or old ranching site from, you know, Nevada. Those are very, very, very Mm -hmm. different things. And from a technological standpoint, you, you might look at this, you know, this Nevada site. And the only way you know that it's the early 1900s is because of the artifacts. You know, you've got a maker's mark or you've got something else uh, or technological, you know, thing on a can or a bottle or something like that. And you know, wow, they started doing that at this time. So I know this must date from this time on. And then you start narrowing it down. But I mean, it honestly, the setting, if it weren't for the cans and stuff and the, in the glass, I mean, it could be at any point in the past, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous how, how different it is. And the, the reason I'm mentioning this is because we always have these generalized preconceived notions of the past. Like, oh, if I were to say, what was life like 100 years ago? That's an impossible question to answer unless you say, what was life like in New York City 100 years ago? What was life like in Reno 100 years ago? Or Nevada, Central Nevada 100 years ago? Or San Francisco 100 years ago? Very different answers depending on what you say. And I mean, it's even different now. You know, life in... Life in Reno today is is probably somewhat different than life in, you know, Phoenix. Yeah, and I would argue that it gets more specific <laughs> you know? than that. I mean, if you say, what is life in Reno in this section of town versus that section yeah. of town? That's, I mean, even that's going to change your answer. I mean, when we're looking at those videos of New right. York, we, you know, you even kind of mentioned it. What areas of New York are these? 
You know, have they gone into mm-hmm. five points in some of the like historic slum neighborhoods or are they sticking to the nicer areas? And that, you know, that gives us a really skewed perspective on what the past was like when we're relying mm-hmm. on, you know, documentary evidence and these videos. Right. I mean, they're great. And I think they're great in part because they allow a really wide audience to reach out and start touching the past and getting engaged mm-hmm. with the past. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a narrow window. But I mean, you can argue that a uh, two by two excavation unit is also a fairly narrow window into the past. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think that's our problem. <laughs> we we don't have these giant broad windows into the past. I think everything, you know, historic map. It's just one glimpse. It's one perspective. The same with all of these images and videos. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when we can take all this information that we're that we're collecting. You know, I mean, you're you're about to head out for another field season and collect, you know, really invaluable information that's disappearing every single year. We we remove ourselves from the actual events, and and that's so important to just go out and collect that information because you know, wait, my wife and I have been watching um, uh, Westworld on HBO, and if you watch Westworld. You know, I mean, the the basic premise is it's a recreated world from presumably, I, I think it's probably mid to late 1800s, um, you know, Western America. And it's undefined, but it's that's the, generally the, the time frame. And as an archaeologist, watching Westworld is really fascinating because these people did their research. You look at the clothing, you look at the, you know, the whiskey bottle somebody pulls the cork out of and drinks. There's no cap on it. There's no anything. It's a cork. You know, it's a corked bottle and you look at the tin cans and there's there's one tin can that shows up a lot because it's part of this scene that repeats itself a lot. And I can tell that, you know, it's got the pressed um, the pressed ends on it. And, and you, you can just tell a lot looking at that can. You know exactly what time period it's from. And it's just kind of amazing to me. It's this old milk can. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably right. Like they actually did some research and that's actually right. And if I knew more about guns and the things used there, those are probably historically accurate as well. And I, and all that came from archaeology, all of it, you know, I mean, it came from doing good quality archaeology. So, so what I'm hearing is you watch this really popular show, <laughs> but you're partially analyzing all the veracity of all of the material cultural aspects being used. This is what I'm hearing. I mean, I'm not going to say that I didn't at one (laughs) point think there's this one town that they always start in. Like when you go into this world as a tourist, you start in this town called Sweetwater. I haven't said, I I, I have had the thought in my head that I want to re I want to watch those scenes over and over again and kind of just like map it out archeologically and maybe even fill out a site record (laughs) and just see (laughs) what that would look like. (laughs) I'm not going to say that thought has not crossed my mind, but I haven't gone down that crazy path yet. I I think that's a dangerous, dangerous path. But, you know, uh, I I understand it because I think, like, I love looking at historic maps. This is one of the things that mm-hmm. I started getting really interested in is just looking at these historic maps, especially Sanborn maps, like the fire insurance maps, where they show yeah. all of the buildings, but they also list what buildings were used for and going to those same neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at them now and trying to figure out which ones are still there. Like there is a house in my neighborhood that still has an adobe garage. It's nice. like it's original adobe garage and I get like a ridiculous kick out of it. Um, <laughs> Phoenix also has a the flood in the flood districts have a map where you can go through different time periods and you can zoom in. On they've taken all of the historic photos, they've aerial photos, historic aerial photos. They've see, um, linked them all together, so sewn them all together into a single unit and georeferenced it. So it's perfectly positioned, and you can go to your neighborhood, and then you can flip through years, and you can watch buildings nice. come and go. Uh, it's yes, I may have That's spent. Awesome. <laughs> There's a reason I haven't finished my dissertation yet, and I won't say that it's these but <laughs> that has contributed one or two days so right really fun though but i mean it's yeah. another great use of these you know these historic images and it just happens that they have mm-hmm. all of these aerial photos um that they were able to do yeah um 
And it does suck sometimes your neighborhood, there's like a cloud over your house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's still, I mean, it's, it's really yeah. interesting um, as a way to kind of understand the movement and growth of communities that you live in. Um, the same with just georeferencing maps. I, I mean, I've been seeing some really cool things where they've been taking different historic maps and layering them so you can fade in and out too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, one way, you know, if people are interested in, in looking at more stuff like this, I know one real simple way you can look at uh, maps through time in a certain area is just Google Earth. Yeah, well, You know, true. if you download, you download Google Earth, not like, I don't, I'm not sure if the online version does it or not, but if you download it, you can just click on the timeline and look at, you know, you can see the jumps. Uh, usually it's tied to USGS maps where, you know, they did a new version in the, you know, early 2000s and then there's the last, the next one back is like 1982, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then 1954. I mean, they don't re, they don't redo these all the time, especially in more rural areas. Um, you know, they, they only do them once every 20, 30 years. I think just Google Maps too in the Street View, they do a little bit of that. And I, this is a, yes, yeah. this is a supremely dorky story. So every two years <laughs> I go do my research project and I drive up and I stay at my co-director's house for, you know, like two nights mm-hmm. while we prep for going into the field. And the other time I, I just needed to make sure that the address that I had was correct. So I pulled it up on Google Maps and lo and behold, the last time that the Google car drove past her house was two years ago and my car was sitting in front of it so <laughs> my car is immo- immortalized it was um yes. nice i felt very special permanently embedded yeah. into the digital matrix and infrastructure for her house so nice nice there's, there's my uh fragmentary moments in the historic <laughs> record where it looks like i might have lived there but nice yeah i like going to looking at uh I've got a friend who lives in a relatively new neighborhood and he's, he's, he's lived there since it was, um, since the neighborhood was created three years ago. And, uh, and when it was made, when they built up all those houses, you couldn't even find them on the, on Google earth or, or on maps or on ways or on anything because their addresses didn't exist yet (laughs) in those frameworks. And now you go back. Yeah. And now you go back and, you know, I can tell where his car is, and I have a friend who lives on a street just uh, just one over from him, and I can see their car because they were the first ones in the neighborhood. So if you're first in a neighborhood, you probably are going to be eventually immortalized. Yeah. Um, or if you just get lucky, like like April did, and get on the uh, get on the street view. I feel so yeah. special every time I look up her address. You know, so well, I know these are the things that bring me great joy. <laughs> That's another conversation too. We talked about this on the Archaeotech podcast where uh with a I think it was I can't remember the episode but we were talking to a guy about um uh, to an author about the world we live in and the digital world we live in and and how you know people are really creeped out by being on video sometimes like if you see somebody videoing you in a in a certain way you're like ah I don't know if it's clearly a tourist and they're out doing something but if it's just like one creeper dude with a camera just like videoing people they're really like what are you doing? But they don't question the the thousands of times a year that they're on some security video for a store or, yeah. you know, they're on some other video and uh, or even like, you know, and, and we uh, we actually take pride in certain cir- circumstances where our privacy is, quote, violated, like Google Street View <laughs> and, you know, Google Maps. It's kind of neat to see that, um, you know, where's the line? So I, I guess... One thing I want to I want to end this with, at least um, some of my comments, is taking photos is not a bad thing. Taking taking video isn't a bad thing. We always look at people say, "Put your phone down and enjoy the natural area." I agree with that. You you need to do that. You know, when you're out touristy and doing things, but also take some photos because at some point in the future, you know, 100, 200 years in the future, we're gonna have computers. Hell, we probably have these now, but people don't care because we're living in it. But later on in the future, people are going to be able to take all these photos that are already georeferenced because you took them on your phone. And there's a lot of metadata associated with those photos, like the the direction you were facing, where you were standing. And then they'll be able to put all these together and recreate the worlds that we live in now. We might think, who the hell wants to live in the in the Trump world that we're living in right now? Who wants <laughs> to see this again? But in but in fifty years, who knows what the world's going to look like? And people are going to want to go back and say, "What was it like back in two thousand eighteen? You know, what was it like back in two thousand ten? Because I'd like to say, what was it like back in seventeen hundred or sixteen hundred or fourteen hundred? But we can't do that because they didn't have the technology to immortalize their surroundings like that. And 
Yeah. yeah. And I think what you really mean too to say is, or mean to say too, is be sure to take photos of the mundane and boring things. Right. Like take photos of your backyard. Those are the really interesting photos because no one takes them. Yeah, and with with the advent of like Instagram and things like that, you are it's a good point because you are starting to see more stuff like mm-hmm. that because yeah. I mean, I have I have one friend that every time he mows his yard into a different pattern or something, you know, <laughs> uses a different mowing strategy and then and then sets up his barbecue and does his things. He's got we got to have a picture of it, right? Oh <laughs> That's God. like his Instagram thing. Yeah, and we see pictures of um of kids all the time and their toys and their houses people live in and Food, my God, food. We're going to know all about the food of the world uh, from from this time period forward uh, forever. Like we're never going to have to worry what did they eat in 2017. Just go look at Instagram and you'll know. So it's true. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But you're right. Take more photos like that. And, and maybe you don't have to post them online, but just have them. So, you know, when they become available or somebody wants them later on to, to recreate our world now, we'll be able to do that. So... Yeah. You got any final thoughts on this topic, April? Uh, I think those were my final thoughts. No, I think those are great final thoughts. I mean, obviously, you and I have some uh, passionate opinions about this. I just think, (laughs) I mean, I just love getting to go online and play with these things, see all these past environments and that they're getting shared. I mean, that's that's part of what is really neat is you see some of this stuff because lots of people are sharing it, which means lots of people are starting to engage in the past in really new and exciting ways. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be my final takeaway. Yeah, I, I took a look at that New York video one last time today, and it, I've watched it probably 50 times, I think. I mean, I, when I first posted it, I see it come across every once in a while, and I'll just watch it again because it's so fascinating. But um, the uh, the video's been viewed over, uh, I think, almost 14,000 times as of today, uh, May 30th, So, uh, which is great. I mean, the more people get it out there, and that's just YouTube views. It might have been viewed in other ways. It's, it's been shared and not counted. But, uh, yeah, it's that's really good. I encourage people to share stuff like that and get it out there. It's pretty neat. So, All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for today. Uh, if you watched that film or you looked at some of the other resources we have on there, give us your impressions. What would you think about it? You know, Tell us on Facebook or uh, in the comments for this episode at arcpodnet dot com forward slash archaeology forward slash 43 and uh, tell us what you think of the past and and maybe what you're doing to preserve the current present which will eventually be the past that's very confusing but you know what i mean <laughs> all right well i think the babies are saying it's time to go and uh <laughs> and end this show so <laughs> i think we're gonna do that yeah um thanks a lot april yeah anytime Yeah, and we'll see everybody next time. Again, leave those comments. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, keep learning. Keep discovering new things and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fra 